Welcome to the Holy Huga Podcast. I'm Jamie, your host, and I'm really glad you're here. I'm a wife and a mom of five who loves scruffy hospitality and intentional living. In this podcast, I dive into seven of the major pillars that create the popular Danish practice of Huga and how they intersect with the Christian faith. My prayer is that these conversations will help us both create homes that reflect the one whose spirit is making a home in us. Come on in. Well, hey there, friends. Today we're kicking off our eight-part series on Holy Huga. In the coming episodes, we're going to unpack one specific tenet of a Hugali lifestyle in an effort to answer some questions like, what happens when a popular Danish practice and our abundant life in Christ collide? How can one sort of affect the other? Or more specifically, how can we use them both to build homes where everyone feels right at home? Now, you may have stumbled upon this show because Huga is your native tongue, and you're really anxious to hear someone else beat that drum and shout about it for a bit. Or maybe you've never even heard about it. You don't even know what the word is, and you're wondering what, if anything, it has to do with the gospel. Maybe you land somewhere in between. Well, I'll tell you this. I've been every version of these. So wherever you're at in the journey toward the sanctuary life, there's room here for you, and I'm glad you're here. Since living is a group project, I'm not going to be the only one behind the mic over the next couple of weeks. In these weeks, I'll be joined by women much wiser than I who've graciously volunteered to give us an unabridged version of Huga in their own lives. So with that said, today I'm really thrilled to link arms with my friends, Judy Dunnigan and Melissa Zaldivar. These are two exceptionally bright women who are going to help us tilt a little closer to Huga to make it easier to grab for. Welcome, ladies, to the show. Thanks, Jamie. It's so good to be here with you. Yes, really excited to be here. Before we dive headfirst into the deep end, girls, could you just take a minute and tell us a little bit more about yourself? You know, who are you and what do you do? Sure. I'm Judy Dunnigan. I'm an acquisitions editor at Moody Publishers. So I acquire books geared to women, written by women, books and Bible studies. I'm also married with two daughters and I have several grandchildren. And I am just so blessed by your book, Jamie, and had the privilege of acquiring your book and working with you closely on it to pitch the idea to our pub board quite a while ago now. And I thank you so much, Judy, for taking a chance on this weird word, Huga. Melissa, how about you? Well, um, I am your book marketer. And so my job is to get the word out about your book and partner with you to do so. And so I came into the process a little bit later. Judy was the initial um, mover and shaker there. And then now I've stepped in to partner with you to get the word out. So I live uh, just north of Boston uh, in New England, and it is wonderful and fallish. It is starting, the weather is starting to shift quite dramatically. And so I enjoy um, spending time outside, spending time with close friends and um, church family, and it is a joy to get to talk about this topic. Um, as a single gal, I think community is really important, um, or it's really easy to be isolated. So I think that this will be a really fun conversation, and I'm excited to have it. 
I bet Huga is really easy to celebrate in your neck of the woods, especially as you tiptoe into fall because fall and winter are high Huga, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But thank you so much. These ladies are actually authors in their own right and are um, just leaning into scripture, sharing the love of Jesus all on their own. So I'm thrilled that they've come to join us today. I want to get to your versions of Huga in a minute, girls, but I think it's kind of helpful if we give a little bit of a preamble for those who might be brand new to this concept of Huga. So if I may, Huga is spelled H-Y-G-G-E. I think that's important as you might see it out into the wild. You'll know exactly how to pronounce it. It is Huga. It's a Danish practice that kind of mimics several biblical principles, including things like hospitality, building deep relationships, well-being, and that that really centers on not just the care of oneself, but the care of others, creating welcoming atmospheres, providing comfort, contentment, and rest. And because it tends to be linked with outward aesthetics, like things we put on our shelves, put on our walls, we often see it splashed all over Instagram in those curated nine squares. You know, think of the woman sitting by the fireplace, wearing a wool sweater, sipping a frothy latte while reading a book. Those are the picturesque versions of Huga. If you just think of it this way, it's kind of a cultural liturgy. And it's landed the Danish people in one of the top two spots on the European Commission's Well-Being and Happiness Index for the past 40 years. And I think that's all well and good. I mean, who doesn't want to be happy? But I think as believers, when we hear statistics like that, we should be compelled to ask this. Can the perfect blend of coffee really cultivate true contentment? Or can a really pretty, you know, flannel blanket that you're wrapped in by the fire, can that cover deep soul ache? And I think that's really what's up for debate and discussion on today's show. So let's do a little truth telling. uh, And we'll start with you, Judy. I want to know how familiar you were with Huga before we, you and I met and you were immediately overexposed to it. (laughs) Well, the first time I heard of Huga was while I was in the mountains and our daughter and son-in-law were visiting with our uh, first grandson, who was only a, a baby at the time. And we were in Vail, of all places, and they, it was in the fall. And there were some outdoor vendors, and we came upon a table, and it was all about Huga. It was a young couple who are both from Denmark, and they had the most cozy blankets I've ever felt. They had sweaters and mittens, and they explained Huga to me for the first time. And the best thing they had were little fur booties, full fur, that fit perfectly on my grandson. So, of course, I had to buy those. And my daughter bought several sizes as he grew up, because at the time they lived in Minnesota. And so that was just my only glimpse um, of Huga until I got your proposal and got to talk with you about the book. And I was fascinated by your vision for this book. And what were your initial feelings? Like when you're standing there at that table and you're feeling the comfort of the warm little booties and you, you know, you envision yourself wrapping, wrapped up in these blankets, like, did it cause you to have like real visceral feelings? Did it change your outlook at all when you're just sitting there talking with these people about Huga? Yeah, it really did. I was 
excited for the snow to come <laughs> and to be able to just be in my home and light a candle, light the fireplace. I live in the mountains in Colorado. And, you know, I love having my quiet time with the Lord, my journal and Bible by the fireplace and uh, a warm cup of coffee and, of course, a warm blanket and comfortable blanket uh, on me. And so it just kind of helped me anticipate that as fall was approaching and just kind of got excited about the different seasons. But also uh, I didn't buy a blanket because it was very expensive, but I found another one <laughs> um, that was a lot cheaper that gave me the idea of just uh, snuggling in really in my time alone with the Lord. Well, I want to hear Melissa's answer, but I, I want to hit pause and go back to that word you said, anticipate. I think that is so key to a Hugo Lee lifestyle when we can look forward to new seasons of our life with delight and not drudgery. And for those of us who live in in climates and places around the country that are wrapped and cocooned in cold, in snow, in dark, in biting temperatures for so much of the year, like the Danish population, it can be real hard <laughs> to anticipate the impending doom that often is winter for us. But that's part of the key of Huga is Shifting your thoughts, shifting your perspective about something and being able to step into maybe even a really hard season with anticipation, looking for what will be and not always fearing um, the dread or the the discomfort of it. So we might return to that in just a minute. But Melissa, I want to hear from you. What was your experience with Huga? Are you, you know, like a Huga aficionado? Are you just coming into it for the first time? Oh, man, I wouldn't say I'm an aficionado at all. Although it's kind of given language in a lot of ways to something that I've always really loved and appreciated about living in the Northeast. There is, you know, I, the way that I used to say it is like, there are seasons, um, which everybody has seasons, but they're varying degrees of intensity. I grew up in California. And so their seasons there are pretty, uh, I guess you could say minimal in some ways for the cold, the cold months. Um, but when I was living in Austin, Texas, of all places, which is another very warm, not cozy place. Um, I was a part of a church and we had an annual Huga party. And so that was the first time I'd heard that word. I'd seen it here and there, but it was the first time that I'd participated in something intentionally um, around Huga. And so we would read plays out loud and have cider and things like that. And we would do it around Christmas time because it was the closest we were going to get to snowy weather in Austin, Texas. Um, and it was it was just really beautiful to, to participate in something like that, where um, instead of just approaching, you know, the winter or the fall or the cooler seasons that, as you said, are kind of high Huga, um, it is really cool to see how your perspective when you approach them with a sense of, as Judy said, anticipation makes it a lot more enjoyable. And that's something that I've carried for the last few years. And though I wouldn't have necessarily said like, I'm making like a hugely decision right now. <laughs> um, I think that it has definitely become a part of the way I experience winter um, and fall and the way that it helps me to get through what would otherwise be a really dark and cold sort of season. And on the flip side, you know, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, which, it, you know, at first blush looks nothing hugely, or you don't at least think of comfort and cozy in the middle of the hot desert. But just to be clear, 
fall and winter are high huga, but you can huga all year long. It's really about a posture, a mindset of shifting your perspective. And I probably will keep repeating that refrain again and again on every episode because that really is at the core of what Huga is. You can't always change your circumstances, but you can almost always change your perspective about them. So even here in Minnesota, when we have summer for what feels like two seconds, I'm still in a place of Huga. Just to give you a small little glimpse or a brief example, you know, I have a closet that is jam full of cute little summer sundresses that I get to wear, you know, for maybe two weeks out of the year, but I collect them all through the year because I cannot wait to be able to put them on. And I might wear two or three of them every day because I'm just so excited and I've been anticipating this warmer season. So I want to say that right out of the gate, even if you live in a place in the country that never sees snow, never, you know, dips below the 60s or 70s, you can still Hugo because it's really a mindset. The other thing that you said, Melissa, was you said it gave language to what you felt you were already doing or had been doing. You know, I'm not Danish. I want to be really clear there. But my husband is. He's mostly Danish. And the Danish people have been practicing this lifestyle of Hugo for hundreds of years. But as a Danish American, he didn't really grow up, you know, using that word, tossing it around. But he was cocooned his whole life in the practices of Hugo. So even though the word itself has only kind of trickled into the United States and into our vernacular in the last five or six years, the Danish people have lived out and walked out this very cozy, inviting, wel- welcoming life you know, their whole lives. And so I've just been a participant and a receiver of that. So before we go any further, girls, I want to read a scripture passage that I hope will set the stage for this eight-week-long series and remind us all of the gravity of our conversation, because we're not just talking about summer dresses here and, you know, walks through the woods kicking up leaves. I really want this verse to help us focus on what's at stake here. I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6, and it says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That stone here mentioned is lithos, and it's actually the same word used to refer to the stone that was rolled away, revealing Christ's empty tomb. And we are the stones, friend. We are the connective tissue between Jesus and the world. And in light of that, ladies, what is behind this spirit of Huga in the Christian home? Judy, how can, how can it help us be those living stones to our family, our friends, our neighbors? Oh, Jamie, I love those verses. Thank you for reading those over us. And I was really kind of under conviction as you read them, because when I was a young 
wife and mom, I struggled with hospitality. Uh, I wanted to make everything so perfect in terms of a clean home and delicious food and decorating. And I missed the whole point of having people around our table. And I remember I had a friend who was very dear to me and she was a seeker. She didn't yet know Christ. And one day she just popped into my home with another friend and my house was a mess because I had toddlers. And um, I remember she told me later that I hurt her feelings because I was so self-conscious about how my house looked rather than welcoming her into my home and embracing her. And I've learned through the years that it's about who's around your table, not about how it's decorated or the food that you have and just opening your home and love and welcoming. And it it's just was a game changer for me. And that I think is how you can be a living stone is to open your home and invite people in and just to love on them and have a casual meal and just hear their hearts. I think uh, to just pull down all those blocks of thinking it has to be perfect before you can invite anyone over. Um, and I know the Lord Jesus, it was so important to him. As you look at the life of Christ as he walked this earth, he did so much around a table, didn't he? In terms of with his disciples encouraging them or just being with Mary and Martha and Lazarus in their home. And he modeled that for us. And he knew that's where spiritual impact, eternal impact would happen. Mm-hmm. And hospitality is at the very top of the list of Hugely tenants, and we'll discuss more about hospitality and how we can swing our doors wide um, in the next episode. But Judy, when you were sharing, I actually thought of two things. When when somebody comes into your home and you immediately start with an apology, I think you're actually saying these two things. One, you're actually kind of taking a very prideful posture because you're making it about yourself and not about them. And you're actually kind of demanding that they clean themselves up too. Like if they were to reciprocate and invite you into their home, you're actually saying that that's what you expect. And I know from experience, when I walk into somebody's home and it it starts with a bunch of apologies for this or that, you know, the tablescape, the menu, I'm sort of rehearsing in my mind what my home looks like. And I'm less apt to invite you over to my house because now you've sort of set a standard for what the home should be. And I know my home is always going to be subpar in comparison. But if we just open our doors wide and let people into our scruffy hospitality and we're showing them our real selves and our real lives, we're actually giving them the courage to do the same. Melissa, why do you think it's so compelling to so many, this idea of Huga? I mean, it's been hashtagged over 8 million times on Instagram. What about it draws us in? Well, I think part of it has to do with a sense of presence and a sense of gratitude. We live in a very distracted time when people are constantly on their phones, checking emails. There's always something else going on, some distraction waiting for us. And so what ends up happening is we're just not present where we need to be present, which is with the people in our real lives, not just our virtual lives. Um, I I mean, I love social media as much or more uh, uh, than the next person. But at the same time, um, I find the most fulfillment as I've been created to do by a very relational God in my relationships with people right in front of me. And so I think that there is this, um, this thing that is really attractive about 
slowing down, being present, being grateful, um, soaking in a season or a place or a group of individuals or even just one individual that reconnects us to what it means to be human. And so when people see Huga, it's not, oh, that's beautiful or, oh, that's perfect. You know, it's, oh, that person is really present. And that's the type of thing that can be contagious. You want to be with people who you know are not thinking of the next thing to say. They're not trying to make their grocery list in their head. Like when they're truly present, making eye contact, um, I think it's really important. Um, and you talk about this in the book, right? You talk about this idea of um, presence over perfection. And I think that that is something that um, is really what makes Huga very attractive to people is saying, whoa, um, I hadn't thought about how busy I am and how uh, overwhelmed I often am until I slowed down enough to breathe a little bit and see what was right in front of me. And to add to that, you know, I think when we are with people face to face, we're we might be l- hearing them, but we're rarely ever listening. We're usually, you know, thinking of our rebuttal, our response. We're we're loading <laughs> as they're talking to us. But Huga takes uh, the posture of sitting and just being and being fully present, looking at people in their eyes and making them feel seen and known, and loved. Can you give me an example, ladies, of how Huga has played out in your own homes, in specifically in maybe your kingdom work in your home? How's it helped you draw closer to Christ yourself, or maybe allowed you to lead others to Him? Well, that's a really good question. Um, you know, the other day I had some friends over. Um, we just hadn't seen each other in a little while and we were doing board games. And I remember a few hours before they came over, just feeling this sense of like, oh yeah, like we got to get this ready and that ready and kind of feeling that creeping sense of, oh, I could have done this differently or made this look more amazing. I had had a busy day and so my apartment wasn't as together as I wanted it to be. But as we settled into the rhythm of just being present with one another, it was it was amazing how quickly time passed and how good it was to just be with one another. And so, you know, we decided to play board games and it was great. And at first I was like, okay, like we'll probably be done around eight-ish. And then the next thing we know, it's 1015, but no one was feeling an awkwardness or like an obligation. Like, I gotta go. I don't want to be here anymore. And I think um, I just forget a lot of the time that when we step into it and when we welcome people into our home, um, it kind of takes care of itself. That sense of, will this be enjoyable or will this be fun? Like when we just get to be with one another, all of a sudden, you know, time flies. And so that's something I often forget in the in-between times, but I find that taking the time to make space and to send the invitation, you know, shoot out a text message or call a few friends and say, Hey, I would love for us to connect and making it intentionally not, Hey, let's just like watch a movie or do something that's distracting in a digital way, but to say, Hey, let's play board games. Let's have dinner. Let's go out to ice cream, whatever it is. Um, I think it allows, it, it never leaves me, um, wishing I hadn't done it. I guess you could say. And there's definitely a level of vulnerability when you send out an invitation. But if the person that you invite 
says no, maybe they're busy, maybe they're just not interested, just turn to the, the next person in line because nobody's ever said, I've been invited to too many things. You know, we all want to be included. We all want to be invited. And that's really where invitational living starts is somebody has to be the one to go first and to say, hey, come on over with your real self. I think Huga has actually helped me create a home that's really strikingly different to, to my friends and neighbors, one that's really compelling. I hope that when people come through my door, you know, their initial thought is, wow, that girl is not from around here. You know, my home is in heaven. So my home should feel a little bit different than the world to everyone else. I hope that, you know, Huga, with its real center on the five senses, can help me introduce things like the sights and the sounds and the smells and even the tastes of my homeland of heaven to those around me. And sometimes I have to get really creative to do that. But I I do want people to walk in and think there's something different here. Well, one of the core foundations, girls, of Huga is that the outward life will always affect the inward life. Or to put it another way, the visible will always give way to the invisible. So what are some practical practices of Huga that help you as you declare your hope of Jesus to your family and your friends and your neighbors? Judy, do you have any particular things um, now that you've learned all about Huga and you're practically an expert? um, What are some things that you've been doing or that you've seen have been helpful as you share your hope of Jesus? You know, it's interesting. My husband and I um, have started to winter in the Phoenix area in Arizona. And last winter was the first time we did that. And we have some of the most remarkable neighbors, um, and yet they don't know Jesus as their Savior. Um, but they started inviting us over to play games or cards or just to hang out and or for a meal. And Um, They know there's something different in us. And when we had them for dinner, we're just at our outdoor patio table. And one of them asked what I do, what kind of publisher I work for. And of course, I shared that I'm not a Christian publisher. And that just opened the conversation to where they wanted to know more. And my husband, Rick, has a beautiful testimony. And he started to share what Jesus Christ means to him. And they were very engaged, but they were very honest. One of them said, you know, I know other people like you, but this is just not for me. And then another told some of her painful story of of when she was a young girl and and found hypocrisy in her church. But we love these people. They're two couples. And it's been just so interesting to see how they're living out Huga without knowing Jesus as their Savior. But we're able to reciprocate. And the conversation around our table went to who Jesus is in our lives. And we're praying for them. We're going to be back there in a few weeks. Um, But that is one way we've been living it out really with our seeking neighbors, which is um, something that's been really sweet for us. And I think we have to be careful as believers not to make our friends and neighbors like a project. But I think that's what's so lovely about Huga is it gives us some real tangible tools to, you know, act like a real person in a situation and not put people on the spot. Like you, you talked about leading with questions. That's definitely one of the integral parts of Hugely conversations. It's very inclusive. You know, you're, you're not just preaching and teaching. You're actually asking questions and being willing to stop tapping your foot long enough to hear the answer. Even if the question, um, even if the answer in return is a question, like a why question, like you were saying, one of them 
definitely had some, maybe some baggage when it came to things of faith or religion. But Hugo would compel us to lean into that, not be afraid of that, and not see a why question as an absolute stop sign. Melissa, I'm wondering if you have heard or seen any pushback to a Hugely lifestyle. What do you think, um, as we're having a conversation and sort of combining or or maybe coming to a crossroads with Huga and our faith, what do you think the world is going to say in response to that? Because, you know, to be honest, Huga is not a faith-filled practice, but I think, you know, in the past 20 years of living a Hugely lifestyle, it actually can be a wonderful companion for leading someone to Christ. But there are naysayers who will push back. So have you heard any of that? And what do you think should be our response to that? Is this just some latest version of hedonism, you know, same poison, different bottle? Oh, that is a good question. You know, I think throughout the history of mankind, this has been a problem, right? Like we find something that we find roots us in our faith and we, and people can take it too far. I mean, there would certainly be an issue if you were like, Huga is the way instead of Jesus, right? That this thing that points you to Jesus becomes the savior in some way, like that would be very problematic, which is thankfully not what's happening here. But I think that there are, you know, it's that idea, theologically, there's this idea of like, all truth is God's truth, right? You, another way someone might say this is like, a broken clock is right twice a day. Um, it's this idea that everything that points us to Jesus, um, is, as long as it's continuing to point us to Christ, is something that we can actually, you know, appreciate. So, for example... Um, you know, you see a story on the news about a runner in a race who gets injured and they uh, maybe they fall during a race and the person who was out in the lead turns around and they go back and they help them limp across the finish line and how inspiring and how beautiful and how good is this? And everybody loves that, right? And it goes viral on social media. And, you know, we've seen videos like this and I would never say like, well, that's not Jesus, like, that's just a race. Like, I would never naysay that. But the thing that is in me that is loving this is someone who had every right to win went back to help a weaker person. And that reminds me of Romans 14. That reminds me of Jesus and his love for those around him, even though he had every right to show up and to demand to be worshiped, he chose instead to dwell with ordinary people in ordinary ways. Like, and those things can inspire me as a Christian to say, wow, that humility, that kindness, that grace is something that I long as a believer to use to point to my faith and to point ultimately to Jesus. And I think in a similar way, Huga is something where we're able to step back and say, okay, is being cozy our savior? No. And, and you're not saying that at all. Um, and I think sometimes when people are in a space where maybe they just haven't considered it, maybe they're burned out, maybe they've had some bad experience, their first thing that they would say is, oh, well, that's not Jesus. And let me tell you why, you know, Hugo's the worst. And let me tell you why. And that's the pushback, right? Is the idea of like, well, are you replacing this? Are you replacing the Lord with this? And it's like, no, like this is not what's happening at all. And so I think a lot of it is just trying to have what I call compassionate curiosity. So rather than firing back of, let me tell you why Hugo is the best thing in the world, of, of taking a posture of saying, well, this is something I found that's really helpful. That points me to Jesus. Um, and I would love to hear more about why you don't think that. 
and maybe we can have a conversation. You know, I think there's pushback to so many things in our culture. And so one of the primary ones is this fear of something comforting you other than Christ, right? And and there's a passage of scripture that talks about this in, I think it's First Corinthians, and correct me if I'm wrong there, where it talks about how we are comforted with the comfort that Christ has comforted us with. And so when we feel comfort, even if it's a warm blanket or a nice warm bowl of soup or in the summertime, you know, a fresh piece of watermelon, whatever it is that points us toward what we would kind of categorize as a Huga feeling um, or Hugely feeling, uh, those things can then, I think, as believers, point us to the truthiest truth um, that, yeah, it's true that I like a piece of watermelon or, yeah, I li- it's true that I like to play a board game. But ultimately what's happening is I'm seeing how the ultimate comfort, the ultimate community, the ultimate companionship is found in the person of Jesus. And so when people show hesitation, a lot of the time they just uh, maybe haven't experienced it before, or maybe they saw someone, like I said, that took it too far. Uh, But it also opens up an opportunity to have a great conversation about what is it in our lives? It could be Huga. It could be playing golf. It could be making the perfect chocolate chip cookie. There are so many things in our lives that we find joy and comfort in. Um, So let's talk about what it is to be a believer, to embrace this beautiful world that the Lord has given us, and then to glorify him with um, the beauty that we've witnessed. I think we're so skeptical as Christians when whatever it is doesn't have a Bible verse conveniently slapped on the side of it. You know, like surely that cannot be of Christ because it doesn't look exactly like Christ. And I think we have to remember that Christ is a redeemer. We are a people of redemption. So he can take it all and redeem it for his good. And I think he's the perfect example of Huga in that as he walked this earth, he understood this very, very basic truth about humanity. We're not just spiritual beings. We're physical beings. We're emotional beings. And so as he was ministering amongst the people, he generally met the need in their hand before he met the need in their heart. Not always, but that's usually what he led with because quite frankly, you know, you can preach to me all you want, but if my belly is rumbling because I'm starving, I'm not going to even be able to hear your words over my rumbling belly. And so he met their physical needs knowing full well, these are holistic people. They have, you know, sensibilities, physical, they're physical beings, they're spiritual, they're emotional, and you can't just separate, you know, the three. Jamie, one thing I really love in your book that um, this addresses is the appendix, where you have the Hugely activities for gathering people and growing the gospel. And you intro that by saying there are many wonderful practical ways to pair the outward help of Huga with the inward hope of Jesus. A few will help you nurture one of the seven tenets of Huga in the lives of your spouse, children, and roommates, but the rest will help you introduce Huga to your friends, neighbors, and strangers so you might one day introduce them to Christ. And like you said, not because they're your projects, but because you want to love on people. And you have such fun ideas in that appendix that your readers can go to. You talk about curating a traveling blanket, uh, creating a neighborhood traveling basket, make blessings bags, create a sick day basket, create a taste and see basket. And you just give explanations how to do that. And it's really the heart of Christ, like you said, that you're hoping to give to others through Hugo. 
Yeah, we just have to remember it's just a tool. You know, it's one of many tools that we can use to employ to spread the hope that we have in Jesus. I'm not saying it's the Savior. It's obviously not. It's just a tool. Well, as we wrap up, ladies, I want to go back to what I said earlier and remind you that at the core of the Hugely lifestyle, the outward life will always affect the inward life. So think of those practical tools that we just talked about. I want to know what is an outward something that you have enjoyed lately that has really helped to reorient your inward life. Judy, do you have something to start us out? I do. Uh, Yeah, I have been really busy with work and then launching my new book. And I just found that I had a really almost like an anxious heart, a lot of angst. (laughs) Um, I was missing that alone time with the Lord. And I don't mean that in a legalistic, you better have your quiet time every day way, but I longed to be with him. And what really calms me is I'm able to get up early in the morning. I'm an empty nester. And I, like I said earlier, I love to light the fire in our living room, but just to light my favorite candle and to have my favorite coffee and, and just to get cozy and then just dwell with him. And that is an inward thing. But the outward, those ascetics is what really calms my heart. Often I'll listen to a praise song uh, and then open the word and journal. And uh, it's just been a sweet time because I need it. And I think we all do. And he wants us. He tells us to come to him. And um, so I'm thankful for the Hugo way of preparing my heart in that comfortable setting just to spend time with Jesus early morning. That's wonderful. Melissa, how about you? Yes. Something that I'm really good at is thinking and overthinking and processing everything in my head, having imaginary conversations. I think a lot of us have personality types that lend that way. And it doesn't help that in today's crazy technological world, there are a thousand conversations. You know, you have to scroll through Instagram and you're going to see like four different plot lines in 10 different seconds. You know, it's just, it's absolutely insane. It's like someone's having a baby. Someone's going through loss. Somebody's grandmother is missing. Somebody is buying a boat. Like, it's just like boom, 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 content, content, content. And so something that's been encouraged with my spiritual director um, is to slow down and to just stay uh, anchored to the world around me by getting away and going on walks in nature. Um, And so I live down the street from a farm. It's the oldest farm in the United States. Um, And I love to go there because it reminds me of like, this has been around and people have been plowing these fields uh, for over 350 years, right? And so while not everyone has uh, a super historic farm, sometimes I go to just like nearby um, really beautiful areas. Maybe I walk around a cemetery where it's a little quieter or something like that. But I think going on a walk is really anchoring and just is a physical way for me to let all of that noise that builds up in my head, especially working as a book marketer, I'm constantly have a lot of noise for a lot of different book launches, which is great, but I need a break from it. Um, And so going on a walk, letting everything go out of my mind allows me to ultimately quiet my heart and then to say, okay, Jesus, here's, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm thinking about. And here's what I'm wondering about. And to have that dialogue with him, I think if we just say to ourselves, okay, we're going to just say a quick prayer. um, Sometimes we're not even present in that. I mean, how many times have you been in a group of people and someone says, okay, we're all going to pray. And while they're praying, you're thinking, oh, you know, oh shoot, I got to, I got to wash my car this weekend. I got to whatever, like our, our minds are just made to go, which is really cool. Um, but I think reminding them to stop 
uh, allows for us to quiet our hearts and, and hear the voice of the Lord. And so um, that's what it's looked like for me lately is just going on walks and visiting the cows and uh, delighting in the beauty of creation, uh, especially uh, while it's still visible and not buried under a lot of snow. Well, I don't even know how I'm going to follow those two up, but I'll I'll do my best. Um, I think for me, my little moment of Huga, just very recently, um, I have a tiny bar of chocolate on my kitchen counter windowsill. And, and I'm a homeschool mom, so I kind of wear different hats throughout the day. But I, I needed something tangible and physical to help me sort of reorient from being like homeschool mom teacher to being the you know the mom who welcomes kids with open arms and cheers them on and you know goes throughout the rest of her day. So I have this little bar of chocolate on my windowsill and after the school day is done I walk over and just take off a tiny little nub nubbin of this chocolate and pop it in my mouth and it's like it shifts gears. It helps me shift gears in my mind that now I can just be mom. And just that tiny little physical act helps to, yeah, just reorient my inside with the rest of my outside. Well, thank you so much, Judy and Melissa, for jumping in as my first guests, being the guinea pigs. You are wonderful. I know your words have painted some really broad strokes for our listeners, and I hope that it will prep their hearts and minds for the weeks ahead. So thank you for joining us. Friends, once upon a time, Christians went door to door, giving out gospel tracts to tell their neighbors about the hope of Jesus. You know, they'd set up tent revivals and they'd preach in the middle of the public square, and their efforts often had about as much subtlety as a stick of dynamite, but they worked. And if you know your church history, you know that men and women down through the ages employed these very tools to ignite a spiritual flame that spread the light of Christ all over the world like a wildfire. But now we're living in what many consider to be a post-Christian society where folks are kind of cynical of religion, and maybe rightfully so. We just survived a global pandemic, one which left so many of us relationally bankrupt. We don't have the muscle memory any longer to have conversations with friends and neighbors, or at least it feels like that to me. Better yet, have the ability to share the good news of Jesus without sounding like a used car salesman at every turn. So then, what are we to do? How can we fill, fulfill that great commission of Jesus to go and tell the world of his great love in the midst of a society that has so many stress cracks when the past few years have left us all with a lot of collateral social damage, when all of our efforts to share the hope we have has led to dead-end streets? Well, we invite, friends. That's what we do. We use our biggest commodity, our home, our lives. We swing our doors wide in hospitality, rolling back the stone. We offer deep relationships, well-being, a welcoming atmosphere, comfort, contentment, and rest. We offer Huga. In the next few weeks, I hope that you'll join me as we take a closer look at the ideas of my new book, 
Holy Huga, creating a place for people to gather and the gospel to grow. I hope I can help you consider how best to make a home that reflects the one whose spirit is making a home in you. For now, I'm just going to send you off today with the verses that we started with. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6, and they read, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame.